0: To the end zone to Jefferson! Is that possible? Touchdown! This is impossible. They go 98 yards. There is a new leading man in Hollywood.
3: To be able to come in here 10 minutes ago and help lead us to a victory, see you
1: guys on Monday. Baker Yeah!
3: Unbelievable for a team that is done. They're done. They got nothing to play for. That's what makes last night even more special. The Rams are dead in the water. They're not getting back into the playoff chase. They could run the table. They're going to finish eight and nine. They're not getting in at eight and nine. But what a moment that they experienced and we all experienced last night during a game that Peter, I was telling you before the show, at some point early second half I'm thinking oh god we got to talk about this game tomorrow maybe there's something else we can talk about right out of the gates and yet again the NFL proves that it's never over until it's over and you can be down 16 to 3 that is now the most dangerous lead in football 16 to 3 because in the last two primetime games (laughs) 16 to 3 disappears in the final three minutes and 30 seconds of the game with a pair of touchdowns by the trailing team and they win and the difference is the Bucs need it to get to the playoffs The Rams don't, but there was more euphoria from the Rams than there was from the Bucks because of the whole Baker Mayfield angle. It was amazing. It was incredible. You think you've seen it all, and you see something more. And good morning, Peter. Welcome back.
2: Good morning, Mike. You know, uh, at the end of the game, on that last drive, they set up 98 yards away, and I said, this can't happen, of course. Okay, it can't, but if it does happen, it's one of the big stories of the year in the NFL, regardless of how meaningless the game is, okay? But as you look at the plays on this particular series, first of all, you want to say, oh my God, cheap interference call. It was not a cheap interference call. It was no, absolutely grabbed him and pulled him. pass interference. Yeah. And... Here's the other thing, though. You're right, and we're going to talk about this later on. We're going to talk about all of the, uh, the holding calls that I think the refs just basically said, we're not calling that anymore. You know, we aren't. But let's talk about the three catches that Baker Mayfield, or the three passes that three Baker Mayfield threw, that according to next-gen stats... Okay, last night after midnight, I'm, I'm working with next-gen stats. And look at this throw right here, the winning throw. Three throws that were longer than 30 yards in the air that every one of them had less than a 35% chance of completion at the time the ball was thrown, which in next-gen stats parlance is exceedingly rare. There are quarterbacks that play an entire game that don't complete a ball with less than 35% chance of it being completed and yet he did it 3 times in a minute 35 at the end of this ridiculously improbable game and oh by the way so baker mayfield threw approximately approximately 50 passes 50 passes from the time he walked in to the Rams at about 9.15 on Tuesday night. They took him from Los Angeles International Airport. The practice facility is about an hour north of L.A. And so he got some work done, mental work done that night. Okay, But then the next day, he comes in, and they do kind of a long walkthrough, including, as Jordan Rodriguez, the athletic, reported today, uh, they did work on a two-minute drill. Okay, which they ran obviously at the end of this game, but here's the amazing. He said thing. that too. He said that after okay, the game so last night, talking to Amazon. He did. So, so here's yeah. what here's what's amazing, at least to me. Okay, so all these receivers, you know Ben Skaronic, you know, and and uh, uh, Van Jefferson. He doesn't know these guys. He met them on Wednesday morning. Okay. And so the estimate from one of their coaches was that he's probably thrown 10 balls or less to each one of those guys when he walked on the field Thursday night, okay? And so here's guys he never met until about 35 hours before the game. And then he ends up throwing these 50-50 balls to him that they catch, you know, with great coverage. Look, I heard a lot of criticism of Patrick Graham last night. Oh, my God, awful, terrible, all this stuff. I mean, explain to me how this coverage right here is the fault of the defensive coordinator. They had really good coverage. Sometimes yeah. you just have to say that the guy made great coverage great throws. And Baker Mayfield, that's you, you know this is crazy Mike. It's crazy. You know because obviously he beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh in a playoff game. So you 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 know you got to be a little careful saying that that's the best drive of his NFL life. That is the best drive of Baker Mayfield's NFL life. Well, that last play it
3: wasn't an issue of the quality of the coverage. Mayfield mentioned this also after the game on the Amazon desk. He said that he was surprised that they were playing press coverage in that spot, that they yes. weren't off the ball, given the, given the circumstances. You're protecting the goal line at that point. That's all you're doing. You're up six. There's one piece of the field that you should give a crap about, and that is the 53 and a third yards across, 10 yards deep, painted different than the rest of the turf portion known as your end zone and he was surprised that he had the opportunity to throw it up and over because the guy was in press coverage and van jefferson got around him and peter one point about his prior knowledge of sporonic and jefferson mayfield said after the game he tried to get jefferson to come to oklahoma and jefferson ghosted him so there's a <laughs> there's a prior relationship that wasn't a good one there. Jefferson wouldn't respond to his calls or text messages. So they did have sort of a prior relationship, but forced <laughs> together last night. And it really was amazing. And the moment that that I, I sat forward, like, because we'll watch these games and somebody's got a chance to come back. But, I mean, holy crap, the punt that that had a mind of its own that rolled inside oh God, the that five and didn't go amazing out of bounds. Life. And Mac Hollins is is doing the gritty as the punt comes to a stop. Like, it's ninety eight yards. Sarah Barshop of ESPN tweeted last night that according to the Elias Sports Bureau, the Rams' 98-yard touchdown drive was the longest go-ahead TD drive that began in the final two minutes of a game over the last 45 seasons of NFL football. It doesn't happen. It's like they've got 98 yards to go. They've got no timeouts. And the first play was just one of those... Oh boy, they want to get the hell out of here and go home. Plays like it was a poorly timed out route, but they came back. They ran the same play the next time, and that got it moving. And the moment I leaned forward was the combination of the 15-yard penalty on Jerry Tillery for knocking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands after the play. And people may not like that, but you can't—you just can't do that, especially with the clock running late. You can't do that. And it was it's after a league. sack. It was a huge push swing. League. And then the. And then I think it was the very next snap was the long throw to Ben that, that And after Squaronic made that catch, that's when I sat forward and thought, holy crap, we got something going on here. But here's the Tillery play. Unsportsmanlike conduct is the call. He knocks the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. And he does it right in front of an official. Like, what the hell is this guy thinking? Do you have no awareness of the rules or the situation or any expectation instinctively that you may get in trouble for that? But once that kept the drive plausible. The score catch made the drive possible. And that, that is like, and, and if you're on the field at that moment, you got to be thinking, Oh boy, something's happening here. And that 98 yard drive ends up becoming a touchdown. It, it really was amazing. And it was amazing. Cause I can't recall a time that we've had that exciting of a finish where we all have that buzz after the fact for a team that's going nowhere but it's for the player yeah. who walks through the door, as you laid out, 48 hours, limited practice time. limited. And he's the quarterback. This isn't Christian McCaffrey plugging in one piece of an offense where he doesn't need to know the whole thing. The quarterback has to know the whole thing. And he didn't even start. Like, the Rams even realized how ridiculous this was. We can't start this guy. And then it's like, oh, wait, the, the the other option is John Wolford. Yeah, let's put Baker Mayfield out there. Wolford, poor guy had his helmet on the rest of the game thinking he was going back in. Nope, no two-quarterback situation tonight. Baker Mayfield is better than John Wolford, even if Baker Mayfield doesn't know what the hell's going on. But he did. It was just unbelievable. And it's one of those things that, and and we're going to talk about the flaws, and you mentioned one of the big flaws, but it's just one of those things that that makes football fun. We don't have enough of that. It just makes it fun. Raw,
2: pure fun. It's almost like, Mike, when, you know, when that game, when I started to watch the game last night, I thought exactly what you were thinking. I said, what are we going to pick out of this game? And look, we saw it through early in the fourth quarter. Baker Mayfield had a couple of jolts of, man, that was a good pass or, or that, w- that was a good play. Like his first throw, he said, hey, that's, that's something. That's good. But after a while, you just started to think. And look at this throw to Skoronic. It's unbelievable, first of all, that he comes down with this ball. But the ball is perfectly thrown. Perfect. That's the craziest thing of all that these throws are just perfect. Now, on this particular play, on the touchdown play, the one fault I will lay on and 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 Andrew Whitworth, I think it was him on the post-game show, showed this perfectly that DeRon Harmon, an experienced player, okay? He floated back in the middle of the field so that there were basically Two safeties right in the middle of the field, duplicate safeties, instead of having one with the best receiver on the field for the Rams, Van Jefferson, instead of having the second one. So Daron Harmon is right. He's useless. He's useless because right over the top is another safety. So there's no need for Daron Harmon to be there. They, you know, that is where I will fault the Raiders for not having a second man in coverage on Van Jefferson, who clearly is their number one receiver going into that play.
3: Yeah, look, I agree with you completely. And the more that we see this play, yes, it was a great throw. Yes, it was a great catch. Yes, it was great coverage. But the configuration of the 11 defensive players with 14 seconds left and no timeouts for the Rams... That is not the way that you win the game. That's the way you lose the game. You dare Baker Mayfield to throw it over the top. I mean, that alignment, assuming that it was consciously picked and it wasn't a mistake and they knew what they were doing, that alignment said to Baker Mayfield, we don't believe you can do this. We, don't believe, we just don't believe you can do it. We don't believe that one of these guys is going to get behind one of our guys and you're going to be able to teardrop a perfect pass in there. So
2: go ahead. We dare you to try. Because you know why, Mike? You know why, Mike? You saw on this play that we just showed three or four times that the Rams receiver in the middle of the field was at about the eight-yard line. And as you said, no timeouts left. Let him throw the ball to that guy. The game's over, or maybe you have one second to go if you can get up and spike it. But I think probably if they caught that ball... The game would be over. And so I just kept thinking last night after watching that, and again, look, I kind of think this is a player error, not uh, not a coverage error, but you know, we don't know. Whatever was happening on that play, you know, Deron Harmon, who's a really smart player, I just simply don't understand why he floated to the middle of the field instead of going to back up the most dangerous receiver on the field for the Rams. Honestly, you know Ben Skoranek is a fine player, you know, but he's not a great receiver. You know, he's he's a he's a. He's but a he had just made that
3: other catch though, so but you can't ignore him. He had just made that other catch. I, I'm so not out in the moment, him. you have to be I'm not you have to be him. aware of eighteen.
2: Yeah, I'm not ignoring him. But what I am saying, and I don't even know where he was, whether he was that guy in the middle of the field or not. But all I'm saying is that you don't leave uh, Van Jefferson alone. And Deron Harmon just floated to the middle of the field. And it was just a huge mistake.
3: Where well, you just keep everything in front of you. You put some guys on the sidelines because they could have gotten a little closer and made it an easier shot to the end zone. But ultimately you are defending the end zone with 14 seconds left and no timeouts and the opposing offense 24 yards away you are defending or you should be defending the end zone let's take one more look at it i'm curious to see if we can see where Skoronic is. but you're right there's a guy running in front of the goal line that as long as you can get to him and tackle him you win the game they're not gonna get another playoff most likely they're not going to get it snap you see a couple of guys up top I mean it's the same concept they had guys running deep on the outsides single coverage and Harmon's in the middle of the field what I mean why is he even there what you're wasting a guy in that spot in the middle of the end zone you got one guy who's playing deep middle in the end zone and everybody else is in man coverage underneath it just makes no sense to me Peter especially since he just yeah, stood there
2: no you know, and it looks like from from the play that Skaronic was was wide right. So yeah,, um, you know, who knows? But I guess I guess the point I would make is, I think it was Harmon and then the second safety there, they duplicated the job. And then way on the right, where it looked like Skaronic was. You know, I wish I had one of those little dot things that that, and I'm going to look for it in a break. But you know, where Next Gen Stats does the dot play, where you can follow each player and they put the number on them. I'm going to look at that when we go to break, and we'll find out exactly uh, whether there was anybody over the top for Skaronic. And it's possible, Mike. It's very possible that they left both of them. Singled without safety help over the top. But yeah, we, we dare really you, Baker Mayfield.
3: We dare you to make this throw. We dare you to make it. We don't think you can. And he did. That's what's amazing.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico... It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
3: The show, by the way, is PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at GoogleStore.com. Hello to our audience watching on Peacock, listening on Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL in London, and the rest of the UK and Ireland. I think we're still live on Fridays, and now that I just said that, I'll get 17 emails saying, yes, you are. Podcast audience as well, hello to you. Let's have a listen to the man of the hour, the man of the 48 hours, Baker Mayfield, who got on a plane and flew from Carolina to Los Angeles, got off, was in a whirlwind or whirlwind, as some might say, and ended up winning a football game. Here he is after the game.
1: I don't know if you can write it any better than that. Obviously, we'd like to be a little bit more stress-free, but um, it's, it's a pretty damn good story, I'll be honest with you. So it's uh, it's special. You know, I, I used to not necessarily complain about the fact that I had that many different offensive systems and having to learn that, but it came in handy when having to learn a crash course and being able to relate, relate certain things. And, uh, you know, Sean's protection scheme is similar to Bill Callahan's who I had in Cleveland. So the terminology with that, that knocks out a big chunk of the learning curve um, and just trying to learn all the, the motions and the terminology for that it's, it's tough um, but those guys did a great job of helping me out communicating when I got off the field on the sideline and just talking about what the plays that are coming up uh, there were still definitely some uh, looked like some rookie errors with, with formations and motions obviously it hurt us late but you know it it worked out but not having the timeouts to be able to call on defense you know it came down to that third and one stop defense did a hell of a job making that stop and giving us the ball back um, so there, there's things that definitely need to be worked out but those guys helped me out in this crash course to be honest with you i'm just looking to be the best version of me possible learn and improving the system trying to take away from a great group of guys that have had a lot of success obviously you know the injuries are it's tough but um, just trying to learn from everybody here taking as much as i can and. Let the pieces fall where they may. I can't control the future. I know I have, you know, the next four games here. uh, Trying to build on that and just be the best version of me and improve.
3: Mayfield had six completions before the final two drives. He was 16 for 21, 145 yards, and his only touchdown of the night on the last two drives of the game. It is amazing how it all happened for Baker Mayfield. And now they have extra time to get ready because their Week 15 game comes Monday night at Green Bay, and then they've got the short week Christmas game. The league office, Peter, had to be very happy about this outcome because you've got two more, (laughs) technically three, and maybe they won't flex Rams chargers now after what we saw last night, but you've got at least two more standalone national broadcasts that there was no reason
2: to watch, and now there is. Hey, look, Mike. Monday Night Football, when the schedule came out early in the year, I said, wow, what a Monday Night Football game. Right before Christmas, Rams at Packers. What a fantastic game. And, you know, then you looked at it and you just sort of laughed, just like you laughed at Rams-Broncos on Christmas. But what's so interesting now, because whether the Packers win or lose – this weekend, okay, you know what you're looking. Oh, wait a minute! The Packers neither. are on the bye, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Packers are on the bye, so so obviously Aaron Rodgers plays on that Monday night. So and 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 so the Packers are desperate to win that game, you, you know, to keep their absolutely tiny playoff hopes alive. All right, so they they need to win the game. Baker Mayfield needs to keep the magic going and to continue to revive his career. So so all of a sudden, that's fascinating from a lot of standpoints. So ESPN gets very lucky. But I, I'll, I'll just say one other thing, too, that you could say sort of the same thing about the Christmas game against the Broncos. Look, I, I'm not falling for the, you know, whatever, the, uh, you know, the Charlie Brown and Lucy holding the football. I've given up on the Broncos. I, I'm, I'm done with it. It's over. You know, have your Christmas meal during that game. However, however, the interesting. Open all, interesting all your presents. Thing about Go to church.
3: <laughs> Go to bed. Yes. I'm sorry. The
2: interesting thing about that game is going to be. Mayfield magic if he can do anything on Christmas, on, uh, on the Monday night game next week. So, look, you're absolutely right, Mike. These games went from kind of dream games to nightmare games to now. Eh, there's a flicker of interest in these games.
3: Yeah, and there'll be even more of a flicker if Mayfield can make something good happen on Monday night. And if he can do that in two days, what will he do with 11 11- more days. I want to go back to that game-winning touchdown because we've tracked down the next-gen stats that show the dots and all the movement of the players, so we can get the dot a much play. better look yeah. at exactly what transpired. You see Jefferson on the left, you see Scolonic on the right, and the safety was in the mid. And you just have the safety. F- he started on the right side and then worked his way over. There's two guys wasted in the middle of the field, though. Peter, to your point from yeah. earlier, you got a crosser underneath. Okay, screw that guy. What's that T-2 guy going to f- do? Well.
2: Yeah, look. Well, he, if, he, if he catches the a short, when he this, may make it to the end zone. Here. Here's the problem with this: two, two Atwell is is the is the is the blue dot that you're going to see cross over the middle. Okay, you see him, and he's got he's got a corner, and he's got two safeties basically monitoring him. It's a waste of a safety. Okay, now you yeah. could argue, we could argue the exact same thing. If he goes to either, let's look at the right side of the screen right now. Okay, the right dot is Tyler Higby, the tight end. The, the slot dot is Ben Skoranek. Both of them are singled and very well covered. In fact, you know what you talked about before, Mike? Just stay between your guy and the goal line. And both of those cover guys do a very good job of making sure that that those guys don't have an edge on them. But the problem becomes that when you are looking at this play in real time, you see a glut right over the middle with Tutu Atwell. And one of those safeties had to be either you know, on the other side with Higby and Skoranek or with Van Jefferson and probably with Jefferson because he's the best receiver because look at look at Mayfield right here let's show this one more time from the back all right if we could see it one more time from the back watch Mayfield he never looks anywhere he never looks anywhere (coughs) other than at Van Jefferson that is it and Mike I can tell you why he did that okay He did that because he was getting used to all night Max Crosby ringing his bell. He knew Mm -hmm. that he didn't have time to go one, two, three, four. Let's look at all my options. No. When that ball was snapped, he said, I am throwing to one guy, Van Jefferson. I don't have time to be deliberate right here. And so all of that conspired to, I'll tell you what. You know, Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator of the Raiders, Josh McDaniels certainly, Dave Ziegler, the general manager. I, I'm just telling you, they, they are still sick this morning. They're absolutely sick because if you looked at their schedule, it wasn't impossible for them to make a very unlikely but a playoff run because, look, Al Michaels said it last night. Last year at this time, The Rams were six and seven, or the Raiders were six and seven, and they went on to make the playoffs. Uh, Holding on to that win last night, they would have been six and seven with a not impossible, kind of a manageable schedule. They would have been six and seven, and who knows what would have happened.
3: And Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. What was looming was a playoff play-in sort of game Christmas Eve, Raiders-Steelers 50th anniversary weekend of the Immaculate Reception, because if those teams keep winning, one of them may be in position to pick off the seventh seed, and now that becomes much more difficult for the Raiders, who have to be, have to be sick. They lost to Jeff Saturday four days after he gets the job. They lose to Baker Mayfield two days after he gets the job, and they win the three games in between. It makes no sense. None of it makes any sense what the Raiders have done over the last five games and last night we mentioned the Jerry Tillery snafu down the stretch Cleland Farrell jumping offside on a punt who jumps offside on a punt when you're up when you're up 16 to 3 who goes offside on a punt when does that ever happen you, there's no, you're not locked in white knuckled waiting for your chance to go wreak havoc on a when you're an interior punt rusher that that gave the Rams a first down and extended the drive that made it sixteen to ten. So it's it's
2: Mike. I I, I will, there's there's doubt that they thing. slept last night, and I doubt that they'll sleep tonight. Mike, there is one other thing about this game that is going to get forgotten, but it's not going to get forgotten by me. And look, <clears throat> this is not to pick on Derek Carr. Okay, but it's simply to state something in reality that happened late in the second quarter. When this happened, I'm telling you, I said to myself, he threw an interception with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. When they were at the Rams 10-yard line, they're going to get a field goal or a touchdown. Now watch what a ridiculously awful play that was. Watch how stupid this is. Hey, I'm (laughs) going to throw the ball up to nobody. To nobody. I'm throwing it to Matt Collins in the middle of four Rams. Four Rams. And I just said to myself, okay, if there's a reason why people doubt Derek Carr and that he definitely has his doubters, that's the play. That's it. That was such a stupid, stupid play that at the end, you tell me, Mike, what would happen if Daniel Carlson kicks the gimme field goal of his year? You know, in weatherless conditions, uh, basically a 28 yard field goal. Because if that ball is incomplete, all he's doing is kicking a 28 yard field goal. And all of a sudden, it's sixteen to three at halftime. They're going to make it nineteen to three later. And so, you know, the only way—the only way that the Rams can catch up then, obviously at the end—is you know making two touchdowns and making the uh, the two point conversion both times. And and again, look, maybe that would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't. But I can't help. But look at that Derek Carr play and just say, "How do you make that play as a veteran quarterback in the NFL? It's just one of the dumbest throws I, i'm I'm not going to exaggerate. It's one of the dumbest throws I've ever seen. You know, from time to time people ask me
3: about doing the show with you on Fridays, and I'm always very complimentary, extremely knowledgeable great at breaking things down great at getting access talking to people but the one criticism is he doesn't really speak his mind the way that he should so i wish you would be a little more candid with your <laughs> <laughs>
2: you um here's what i tweeted last night after but that mike, happened mike i ju- let me just ask you this i want to ask you this i agree with everything you're saying
3: i'm complimenting you for being
2: candid that's my backhanded way of saying no 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 i, I, no, like no. I just want to wanna it know like it I is. W- I just want to know, I want to know, when you watch that play right there, did you just think, eh, interception? Or did you think, oh, my God, was that idiotic? What, uh, t- what here's did what, I here's did what I tweeted. Here's what I tweeted up? at
3: the time. Okay. Now, here's exactly Here's exactly what I tweeted. That play was like one of those dreams when you're trying to run, but everything is in slow motion. That It just was everything about it. Like, yeah. what is happening? And Derek Carr is the one that decided to do this. Yes, I'm in, in lieu of taking a sack and making a chip shot field goal, just a hair less of a chip shot, but still extremely makeable. He's going to just kind of like lazily throw the ball. Like everything went into slow motion right there, right? Everything on the front end and the back end. It's like somebody pressed a button. I can't. And the world slowed down. It, it's it's yeah. I agree with you. It's a great play by Ernest Jones because he's got to be standing there wondering. I
2: can't believe here. comes a football. It's like what the hell? There's the but ball. You know what? I better go get it. If if Ernest Jones if Ernest Jones doesn't get it, he'll might. If if you if you look at that, he it was almost like he felt like he was the intended receiver. Hey, easiest interception of my life. I don't know, Mike. I. I, I try not to. It was to. like – remember when I they used really to – do liked... they
3: still – at sporting events, does a, does a beach ball, like, pop up out of nowhere and it's bounding around? That throw yes. was like yeah. the old beach ball and that would bound around, around the stands at a sporting event. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's what no. that was. Here's
3: Josh McDaniels. Now Michaels called Josh it McDaniels a from after
2: That's what it was. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, Josh McDaniels after the game on the penalties and the critical errors made by his Raiders to contribute – To the loss.
2: I mean I you know I don't look at it as a step back I mean we didn't finish the game that's the reality you know uh, I thought we were ready to play I thought we you know we competed Um, you know we got off to a decent start and then we just didn't we didn't capitalize you know and the bottom line is is until we until we figure out how to you know stop losing games with mistakes that we you know we do ourselves then it makes it very difficult to win and so, you know, you can't, you can't really win until you stop from losing, and that's penalties, turnovers, things like that that, that contribute to that. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about that. Uh, we obviously need to do, and do a better job of coaching it and trying to get us to play better.
3: The Rams are the fourth team to lose four games in a season after leading by 13 or more points, joining the Raiders. 1998 Raiders. Colts. Raiders did I say the Raiders what did I say did I say the Rams anyway the Raiders are the fourth team to lose four games in a season after leading by 13 or more points joining the 1982 Rams the 1996 Jets and the 1998 Colts that was Peyton Manning's rookie year he could have been seven and nine not three and 13 he blew he participated in the blowing of four 13 point or more leads The Rams in 82, that's the strike-shortened season. So they did a four out of nine games, which makes it incredibly impressive when you only have nine games to blow four 13-point leads. And was Parcells the coach of the Jets in 96? No, he was with the Patriots. He was with the Patriots. He came the next year. So uh, that contributed to whoever was the coach of the Jets in 96 being gone.
2: Bruce Coslett, maybe? Rich Cotite. I forget who, Coslett, I, I think he was gone by then too. I forget who was the coach then, but yeah, that you just you, you can't do that. You know, Mike, it's the inexcusable. one other thing about the Raiders. It's inexcusable. Yeah, the one, other, the one other thing about the Raiders, and I was thinking about this last night when you watch those stupid plays. You know, one of the things that happens, I believe, when you have a new coach come in, and then you have remnants of the old regime. And let's take Cleland Farrell, okay? Furl. okay? He obviously was vastly overdrafted in Mike Mayock's first draft, pick fourth overall. And he never was the impact player that the Raiders thought he was. So now, honestly, Mike, Cleland Farrell knows that it's over for him with the with the raiders i mean it's 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 over for him he's going to be going somewhere else next year okay so you really wonder you really wonder when he wakes up in the morning and he's playing for the the las vegas raiders the question is what does he think what is he thinking i got to play every play like it's my last or i wonder where i'm going to be playing next year and I'm not totally bought into this place because I really don't have a future here anyway. Now, maybe that's what he thinks. Maybe that's not what he thinks. But I just kept thinking, and I've I've been I've been I've been ruminating on these things that when you take over a team as Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniel uh, Josh McDaniel's ha- have done, they have to they can't replace the entire roster in the first year, or they can't make every personnel decision that they'd like to, you know, they, so what they have to do is they have to deal with some players who they figure probably aren't going to be part of the long-term uh, situation there. And then you're going to discover some guys, you know, like Mac Hollins, who has been a godsend for this team. So, I do think that part of this you're going to see at the end of this year is part of the weeding out process that the Raiders are in the process of doing with a new regime. And I think the weeding out process, after watching some of their major errors, uh, I mean, I doubt the weeding out process is going to include Derek Carr, But, and and I'm not saying it should. I'm not saying it should. Because at the end of the day, no matter how upset you are with Derek Carr, you have to ask yourself, okay, can we do better than Derek Carr at quarterback? Maybe Josh McDaniels figures, yes, we can. And maybe he will figure that. But as of right now, I doubt that they're going to do anything. And Josh McDaniels really, really likes Derek Carr. You know, as his as his leader, uh, as a great locker room guy. And Derek Carr is great at all that stuff. But I'll tell you one thing. That interception is going to have Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr both just absolutely sick for days. I got two
3: points to make. First, you mentioned Cleveland Farrell. He was one of three first-round picks in 2019. And they didn't pick up the options on any of the guys, making them all free agents next year. Along the way, they cut Jonathan Abram, the safety who was one of the three first-round picks. Josh Jacobs has become incredible. He was another one of them. And Farrell's playing special teams. That's maybe what he's thinking. Why am I playing special teams? Well, you're not good enough to be the guy that Max Crosby became. That's the guy you were supposed to be. And that little lack of focus, that's yes. all it takes. You don't know what goes. You know, you're, you're making a great point. Guy rolls out of bed. What's he really thinking about? Yeah, they're making a playoff push, but I'm not going to be here. And I got to go play all these different special teams. And they really don't want me here. And I'm not comfortable. And boom, in that one moment, he falls offside. And that's that. As to quarterback, Peter, something that dawned on me and I made this point earlier in the week when Baker Mayfield was released by the Panthers I tried to paint with the broadest possible brush of the teams that may be interested in him and last night with the Derek Carr interception couple that with the fact and I'm sure you remember this just days before the 2018 draft who did Josh McDaniels work out secretly worked out Baker Mayfield McDaniels was interested Patriots were interested. Mayfield's going to be a free agent after this year. And McDaniels witnessed it last night. Unlike any other coach or GM in the league who saw it on TV, McDaniels lived it. Ziegler lived it. Mark Davis lived it. And they have a window, a thin, slim window right after the Super Bowl, just a matter of days, to pull the plug on Derek Carr's contract and say, bye-bye. And between the interception, the slow motion stuck in molasses, I'm falling down, what do I do? Let's just throw it up for grabs. Between that and what Mayfield did last night, you never know. You never know what that thing is going to be that causes people to ultimately make big decisions, Peter. But I wouldn't be surprised if, in hindsight, they say, see you later, Derek. Come to Las Vegas, Baker Mayfield.
2: Mike, two things... Based on what you said after your two things, based on what I said, um, <laughs> you know, right now, right now, Josh Jacobs has a 283 yard lead in the NFL rushing race over Nick Chubb and a little bit more over, uh, over Derek Henry. Now he's also got a game in hand so keep that in mind but there's a very good chance that Josh Jacobs if he you know does if he doesn't have a big hand injury after last night there's a very good chance he can win the rushing title this year that's number 1 so you probably probably have to keep him okay and you should really want to keep him <clears throat> okay so here's the other thing to think about in what you just said Mike, do you remember maybe, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, right on this show, when I was talking about Geno Smith, and I had had a conversation with Geno Smith after one of his big wins, and he steered the conversation, because I said to him, what's the moral of your story? You know, and he just said, hey, you know, don't make a decision on a quarterback after one or two years quarterbacks need time especially when they're going to situations that are hard he said what was Peyton Manning like after his first year when he threw all those interceptions were you really sure about Peyton Manning what was Troy Aikman like after his first year were you really sure about Troy Aikman after the Cowboys are, are terrible in year one and not so great in year two. And, and by the way, what about Steve Young when he broke in with Tampa? What would you think of Steve Young in that first year or maybe first and second year? What, what did you really think? And this is the point I'm going to make. Bill Walsh once said, if I see a player do something one or two times... I can coach him to do it all the time. Bill Walsh would have watched that Baker Mayfield drive last night, and he would have said, I want Baker Mayfield on my team. Period. Because he made three throws on that drive that were just out of this world, beautiful throws and excellent catches, by the way. But they were right where they should be in heavy, heavy coverage. Tight coverage. So all I'm saying is I know it's become fashionable to laugh at Baker Mayfield. Ah, you know, he's done. He's finished. Forget Baker Mayfield. Let me just tell you something. Don't you think now that it's easier to look at Baker Mayfield with his awful year last year in Cleveland and say you know what, maybe it was because he was injured. Maybe we shouldn't have expected, first of all, maybe he shouldn't have been playing with all those injuries, number one. And number two, maybe we should factor that in when we consider what to think of Baker Mayfield. So, you know, Mike, I I just think there are so many lessons in that game last night that stand out to me but one of them is you know i don't know why we are so quick to bury quarterbacks but you know what we are
3: there's always a new supply of them coming in the bad teams are in position to go get them the fans want excitement the fans want something different and the fans say this guy stinks but you're right about baker mayfield look he had given the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes everything they could handle in the playoffs to cap the twenty twenty season after beating the Steelers in the wild card round, and then they gave the Chiefs everything they could handle week one they had to go back to Kansas City, and it was a good game. He injures his shoulder against the Texans week two, and he's never the same the rest of the year and the The Panthers thing happened so late. I said earlier this week he never should have accepted a trade to the Panthers at that point. He had $19.9 million he was going to make this year, fully guaranteed when you factor in the 17th game check. Not 18-8, 19-9. 8, he gave up $4.6 million to facilitate that trade in July, and it just didn't happen. It wasn't enough time. He signed on with a coaching staff that was on its way out the door. It was a bad mistake. He bet on himself, and he lost. I said this earlier in the week, too, Peter. We love it when guys bet on themselves. Because we can cheer for them when it wins, and it's not our money if they lose. He lost $4.6 million and the best move he made all year was requesting his release. Because now, just based on last night, whatever he does the final four weeks, like you said, there's going to be a Bill Walsh out there that watches the tape from last night and says, I can make Baker Mayfield into that every week. He's going to be our starting quarterback next year. And it will not surprise me if it's the Las Vegas Raiders.
2: How about Mike? You know what continues to amaze me? Yeah, I, I, I read this, so I can't absolutely say it's factual, but I think this is true. Is it true that the Los Angeles Rams were, were the only team to claim Baker Mayfield? Yes. yes. Okay. So, so think about that after watching that game last night. Because, listen, you don't know you really don't know in the claiming process in front of you because i think the rams were third in the claiming priority if if i'm not mistaken they yes. were either third or fourth but third. but so but you don't you don't know who in front of you puts a claim in so you know to me the one thing that boggles my mind is why in the world didn't the 49ers put a claim in on baker mayfield that just seems Just crazy to me. Unless they think, oh, we just don't like this guy. We've heard too much about him or we've got personal knowledge about him, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. But, man, that's pretty weird that, you know, you're willing to have Josh Johnson as your backup being one snap away from having to go to the playoffs and depend on Josh Johnson. I'm not criticizing Josh Johnson. You know, he's a useful piece to have on your team. I get it. I understand it. But wow, when Baker Mayfield is there to not even claim him, whether you think you're going to have a chance at getting him or not, I, I don't know. That was That's pretty weird to me. That's a great point, Peter. And I think there's a psychological element to
3: it. And, and I've been asked about this several times this week. It's not like each team gets dibs and you move on to the next one. You have to put in your waiver claim blind. Blind. You don't know who else has done it. Unless, unless word gets around. And on what day was it? Tuesday afternoon, word got around that the Rams were claiming him. He said he already booked his flight to LA. He took the chance that, that he, he was going to the Rams. So once, once it's known that the Rams are doing it, that becomes a factor in whether or not you do it. Because if you're the 49ers and you have reliable information, as I believe they did, that the Rams were taking him, if you put in that claim, all you do is potentially undermine the perceived faith you have in Brock Purdy. Because that's what the narrative would have been. Well, they really don't believe in Mr. Irrelevant because they're going after the guy who was the first pick in the draft instead of relying on the guy who was the last pick in the draft four years later. So I think that may have been a reason why. The word definitely got could around be. that the Rams were taking him. And so why bother at that point? Why why, why introduce yeah. some extra element to your team if you're not going to get the guy?
2: Look, I, I, you know, Mike, you absolutely could be right. There are a lot of connections, even though there's kind of a bitter rivalry there. Um, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan one day will be sitting on the beach in Hawaii and having sixteen uh coronas and you know talking about life because when all is said and done they're good friends. Okay. But I do think I hear what you're saying, but quite honestly, Brock Purdy has not done enough and you know, I don't care if my mentality of my quarterback if, if the men, take, I get, I understand what you're saying, but if you absolutely knew, if you absolutely knew, then I understand it. But, and, 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 and Mike, you're right, maybe they did know, but if they didn't know, that's a weird thing to not, to not claim them because I just, it actually and again, did. I believe that, you know, I was at the 49ers game, I spent, 20 minutes with Kyle Shanahan after the game. I spent 8 or 10 minutes with Brock Purdy after the game. So I, I have a little bit of an understanding about why the 49ers love this guy. And I wrote a lot about it on Monday, including the one pass that absolutely convinced Kyle Shanahan in that game that this guy is for real. And we can be okay with him. Who knows how okay. But I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not petrified of the future because we have to play uh, Brock Purdy. But it's just, I just, you know, he hasn't done enough yet to deserve the, oh, well, we don't want to shake his confidence.
3: Well, and I don't know whether it's that as much as we don't want to send mixed messages. We already have a complicated quarterback situation as it is with Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Regardless, I think they knew they weren't going to get him And that made them decide, why even bother? There's no point in this. We're not going to get him. Because I think the Rams did a good job of putting the word out. And it helped the Rams to scare everybody else off. Because you get a guy who's more humble if he comes in with one waiver claim. Nobody else wanted you, Baker. Let's go do this. You're with us. We're the only ones who wanted you. Let's go make something good happen. And they did. Helping the effort to have something good happen last night. Peter mentioned this earlier. And we talked a lot about it on Tuesday and Wednesday, and justifiably so. Donovan Smith holding on virtually every play. The only plays he didn't hold on Monday night were the ones where Tom Brady got the ball out before Donovan Smith could hold someone, including, Peter, I don't know if you saw this, one of the all-time great holds, called or uncalled in league history, a reverse bear hug, (laughs) almost a suplex. Do we have that? Watch this, Peter, if you haven't seen it. I have never seen anything that blatant. Look at that. He holds it for four seconds and it looks like he's trying to lift him off. And the it ground. wasn't called so, and it wasn't called. So he held and he held and he held and he held on the play that became the touchdown, both the one that was called back where they called it. And then he held again on the one that was the touchdown that won the game. Fast forward to Thursday night, 16, three, same circumstance, two drives needed. And Rob Havenstein holding on not every play, But at least four of them, including the game winner, Pete Demolaitis, has a tweet that shows the image, the moment. There it is. And his move is, put my forearm in the throat of Max Crosby and restrain him that way. And that is holding. Look at this.
1: Yeah.
2: Mike. There they are. There are the four shots. You know, officials, you don't. Nobody ever says this, but it's almost like what happens in Fight Club, you shut up about Fight Club, whatever the cliche is. But don't you get the feeling after they called three holds in the second half on the Rams that they were done with that? You know, I'm going to tell you a quick story, Mike. So when I, this this was, I think in 2013, I had just gotten to the MMQB. Sports Illustrated gave me this this website with a staff to do, and so i i I was trying to do this for a long time, but I wanted to spend a week in the week with an officiating crew. I wanted to go on the road to see what they did in their real lives, how they studied everything like that. So finally, the NFL agreed to let me shadow. Gene Steratore's officiating crew. And during the course of that time, I realized how hard that it is to be an official, first of all, because it's not a full-time job, and you have to find time. You know, uh, Dino Paganelli, a social studies teacher outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and at the time, a single dad to three kids has to get all his kids squared away, has to do all that, and then he's got to find a couple hours at 10 o'clock at night to study tape of the Ravens and the Bears because that's what he's going to do next week. But but be that as it may, here was the one really interesting thing that I carried with me after that, and that is that officials talk to players all the time. And officials in the middle of a game might say, uh, you know what, you're 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 really lining up over the line you're a little bit in the neutral zone now you got to get back you got to get back so in other words they don't want to call these fouls all of them they want they they don't want to throw the flag so i was thinking of that last night and i and watching last night on twitter after the game when you saw all these plays that really looked the screen grabs that really look like holds on Max Crosby. And you just say to yourself, you know, the officials really don't want to call a hold on every play. They just don't. And I'm not saying they'll get graded down for this. I don't know. But I do think that this is one of those times where A, I wouldn't be surprised if either the headlinesman, side judge, whoever, would have said... Uh, to Rob Havenstein, hey, listen, you are holding and you got to stop it or I'm throwing a flag on every play. you know. Or to go tell Sean McVay, hey, tell your right tackle he's holding on every play. Now, I don't know if that happened and maybe it was too late in the game that they didn't do it, but that kind of stuff happens, Mike, because these officials don't want to throw flags on every play. Well... And look, I look at it this way.
3: The explanation for what happened last night and on Monday night is either incompetence or conscious or subconscious intent. And I don't think there's ever been a Tim Donahue problem in the NFL. If there has been, we're not aware of it. And I don't think there ever will be because I think it's too hard for one official to control the outcome of a game. There's too many moving parts. There's too many elements. It's too hard to do. But, Peter, I think at some level, they may be influenced by the fact that the NFL sticks out its chest over how many close games there are. You see those seven from Sunday emails that the NFL sends out every week with all the statistical significant achievements. And the first item every week is how this year has had the most close games of any season in league history. The most games that are within one score in the fourth quarter. The most games with comebacks. How many comebacks have we had? Double-digit comebacks. And they're rooting for that. So I almost feel like it starts from a place of, uh, let's let them see if they can make it interesting. And before they know it, it's gotten pretty damn interesting. Now, that doesn't excuse letting it go on the game-winning throw each of the last two games when it happens. So, I, I Peter, I don't know what it is. And it may be, you know, the Legion of Boom did this in 2013 they held receivers on every play because they knew they weren't going to call it on every play and it worked and the bottom line is it worked for the bucks on monday and it worked for the rams on thursday and you mentioned how the talking happens this is the point chris made on tuesday very astute the team that's on the wrong side of it had better be yelling and screaming and shouting that it's happening that's one way to get the flags out. Max Crosby needs to be after every play, throwing his arms in the air. Josh McDaniels needs to be out on the field saying, "What are you, he's choking him? What are you guys doing to shame them into it in real time?" That's the big takeaway I have from this. If you're if you're a team trying to hold a big lead late, and your guys are getting held, you better be shouting from the rooftops. It's happening,
2: Mike. I do want to say one thing because believe it or not, there are other things that are happening in the NFL, but we have just spent 59 and a half minutes (laughs) talking about two teams with a combined record of nine and 17. And that is an amazing talent that you and I have to be able to talk for 59 and a half minutes about two teams with a combined record of 9-17. and And you know what, Mike? I'm damn proud of us. Well, let me tell you something. It would not have
3: been 59. It would have been more like 29 or maybe 19, but for the final three minutes of last night's game. So thank you, Baker Mayfield. You have allowed us to kill half of our show in one fell swoop. We'll take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. Oh, I did want to mention this too. I'm surprised his head didn't explode as we go to break. I, I, look at that. I think his blood pressure beyond anything. Are we still on the air? Is he still alive? Let's go to break.
1: <laughs> Reese's peanut butter
2: cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh,